It's a new dawn for one of the main areas of activity for climate action, and it relates all the way across to the discussions that are that are taking place in Dubai as we speak. Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 11th of December. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Stay tuned later in the episode for a look at how new rules aim to plug Europe's leaky buildings and an interview with the politician who managed to negotiate them. First, let's take a look at what has been happening in the world of energy and climate, including, of course, all the main COP28 news from Dubai. A letter sent from the OPEC oil cartel to its members urges them to block any attempts to agree to phase out fossil fuels at the ongoing COP28 summit. According to leaked letters seen by The Guardian, Reuters and others, pressure against fossil fuels may reach a tipping point with irreversible consequences. OPEC has 13 members, including Saudi Arabia, Iran and Nigeria, and together they control 80% of the world's oil reserves. OPEC has declined to comment on the leak, but has nevertheless drawn condemnation from political leaders, including the EU's climate boss, who called the group's intervention out of whack. China has indicated that it may support efforts at COP28 to broker a deal on reducing fossil fuel use. Climate envoy Xi Zhenhua told reporters that China wants an agreement on substituting fossil fuels for renewables. Although he would not be drawn on whether Beijing supports a full phase-out, there are positive signs that Beijing is pushing for a compromise. Xi and US counterpart John Kerry led in-depth negotiations behind closed doors at the weekend, which sources in Dubai optimistically say is an indication of progress. It is still unclear whether China will support the tripling renewables and doubling energy savings pledge in its current form, as the latter point in particular is a contentious one for its power-hungry industries. The International Energy Agency has crunched the numbers on the current pledges doing the rounds at COP28. According to its analysts, the smorgasbord of renewable energy, emission reduction and efficiency boosting policies are positive, but not nearly enough to honour the 1.5 degrees temperature target. The IEA concludes that the COP pledges would avoid about 4 gigatons of CO2 by 2030, which only accounts for 30% what is needed. There's a link in the show notes to the full IEA assessment. Azerbaijan is now all but certain to host next year's COP summit. New drafts of the official meeting conclusions now mention Azerbaijan as COP29 host, as well as Brazil as COP30 host. As reported last week, Baku got the unofficial nod after Armenia withdrew its candidacy, and the Eastern European group of UN countries decided to support its bid. COP28 chairman Sultan Ahmed Al-Jaber says the summit will be closed at 11am tomorrow. Don't believe that for a second though? as a COP hasn't finished on time since the 2003 edition in Milan. There's far too much left to do for the Dubai meeting to wrap up as planned. It is instead far more likely that it could challenge COP25's dubious record for latest finishing. The Madrid summit drew to a close 44 hours after the official deadline. Market calendars, the European Union will propose a 2040 emissions target on the 6th of February. The EU aims to slash emissions 55% by 2030 and reach net zero by 2050, making the 2040 benchmark an essential stepping stone towards the bloc's main overarching goal. The European Commission will propose what it considers to be the best option, 
then members of the European Parliament and national governments will attempt to hash out a compromise. It will certainly be a heated debate, to say the least. South Africa's government approved a new energy strategy. The Integrated Resource Plan is split into two parts, one that takes Africa's most industrialised country up to 2030, and another that looks all the way towards 2050. Details are still scarce, but it is likely to rethink dirty power plant decommissioning timelines to boost security of supply. The strategy will be opened up for public consultation at a later date. Serbia and Bulgaria inaugurated a new gas pipeline that connects the Balkan Peninsula with Azerbaijan's gas fields. The interconnector will also allow Serbia to access LNG terminals in Greece and Turkey. It has been built to be reversible, so LNG from hubs in Austria and Croatia can be transported towards Bulgaria if needed. Serbia currently relies mostly on Russia for gas imports, so this new project could reduce Moscow's influence over the government in Belgrade. And Argentina's new president took office yesterday. Javier Millet denies human-caused climate change and insists that it is just a socialist hoax. He has pledged to eliminate the environment ministry, but he hasn't started to swing his axe just yet. Veteran climate envoy Marcia Lavaggi says she has the backing of the new government and that Argentina will stay in the Paris Agreement and continue with its 2050 net zero policies. Whether Millet will eventually make good on his campaign rhetoric in the coming months, though, is hard to predict. That's all of your news updates for today. Now let's move on to a closer look at the story of the moment. Kira Taylor reports on how the EU is trying to make buildings less of a climate burden. The European Union has made huge progress in agreeing new climate targets. That includes emissions reductions, renewable energy and energy efficiency goals by 2030. But the EU also needs to do the groundwork to make this happen. A new law looking at the energy performance of buildings aims to do just that. Europe's building stock is energy hungry and inefficient. The sector is responsible for 40% of the EU's energy consumption and 36% of greenhouse gas emissions. The new law aims for all new buildings to be zero emissions by 2030 and the existing building stock to be zero emissions by mid-century. EU negotiators struck a deal on the law late on Thursday. It still needs to be officially signed off by the European Parliament and EU countries, but it is very likely to be the final law. I spoke to lead negotiator for the European Parliament, Kieran Cuff, about what the new law means for Europe's buildings. At the heart of the deal is uh, a requirement to uh, upgrade the buildings of Europe uh, on a phased basis, and we have targets for 2030 and targets for 2035. And we succeeded in getting... I think real progress on on both of these measures. We had wanted to use minimum energy performance standards for all buildings, but there wasn't the political support to use this in in the residential sector. So what we're doing there is we're increasing the average um, energy performance of the building stock. uh, And without going into too much details on the figures, uh, we're going to reduce the energy use by... 16% by 2030, and at least 20% by by 2035. This is progress on the road to huge energy reductions. I guess the question is, is it fast enough? And I would always say, I think we should be accelerating our efforts as we look at the 
changing climate as we look at weather records being broken this year. But I think it's a milestone uh, on a journey, and I think it's a really important milestone. The deal also includes provisions to deploy solar in new buildings, public buildings, and existing non-residential ones as they undergo renovation that requires a permit. This obligation will fall on public buildings and other buildings. Starting off with the larger buildings, uh, over 2,000 square metres, and then ramping down to 1,000, and then the Parliament was pleased to get under 750 square metres before the end of the decade, and clearly a requirement there on public, on non-residential buildings, to progressively equip rules with solar installations. But they also need national strategies, policies and measures on solar in residential. But look, that is happening as well. I look around the neighbourhood I live in Dublin, I see put, people putting uh, putting solar on roofs. The prices have come down, and with the energy spikes last winter, people want to produce and generate energy themselves. The new law not only aims to boost renewables, but also looks to end the use of fossil fuels in buildings. We are saying that 2040 is the phase-out date, um, but in the small print is saying, look, it needs to be, uh, but we do allow for uh, some use after 2040. Look, I wish it happened yesterday, but clearly um, some member states can't move as fast as I would like. Uh, but certainly we're ending subsidies for standalone boilers by 2025. That is real progress. That is going to happen soon. And the indicative phase out of 2040, I think, will concentrate minds uh, on moving away from oil and gas for heating fairly quickly as the years go by. The European Parliament had wanted to go further here, but faced pushback. Rose Hartwig-Payon, who is working on the law for the European Alliance of Companies for Energy Efficiency in Buildings, explained more. Uh, it has been decided that the phase-out would happen in 2040 rather than 2035, as was in the EP mandate, uh, which was a little disappointing. But I think the provision that will have the most impact when it comes to this target is that from the 1st of January 2025, member states will not be able to provide any financial incentives for standalone boilers powered by fossil fuels, which I think is a key win of this directive. Overall, the law has not had an easy ride. One of the major challenges was pushback from member states. Clearly, I would have preferred if the deal was stronger. And the mandate from the European Parliament was was very strong and, and I think was quite ambitious. And I, I think at the time, back in March, commentators said, ooh, this is, this is quite good. Um, but the council mandate at that time was also very strong. But I think what we see shift politically is that the council mandate really reduced in ambition. So we went from uh, a period where we had an ambition coalition of, I think, was it six or I think nine member states who wanted us to go further suddenly evaporated away. And I kind of looked around and said, who's with me? And there was no countries left for the degree of ambition that I would like delivered on the file. Why did this happen? Well, look, Ukraine changed everything. Initially, the kind of the shock and horror of having a war on European soil. But then last winter, the very high energy prices in the autumn really scared governments and scared citizens. And there was a huge amount of price support for people to heat their homes. But it wasn't just energy that went up in price. The weekly shopping bill went up. Consumers had less money left in, in their pockets. And the political support for saying, 
everybody has to upgrade their building disappeared. So we reduced our ambition in the residential sector. We've kept significant ambition, you know, in both, but it was a lot higher uh, a year ago or nine months ago. Rose also mentioned how the focus on residential buildings was lessened. The directive is not as ambitious as we had hoped. Um, there is an ambition on resi- non-residential, be it for MEPS or for the solar mandate. However, it is true that we had hoped that the residential sector would be a bit more targeted. Um, still, like I do think that even just focusing more on non-residential, uh, the solar mandate will help Europe on its path to independence from unreliable energy suppliers. Rose still sees the law as a win. She said the final agreement is a balanced compromise that will trigger a lot of renovation with social safeguards in place. Climate justice has to go with social justice. They only go hand in hand or they just don't work. Though some of the social safeguards that the Parliament's text had are not there anymore, I do think there are some provisions that will help. Uh, I'm also looking at the financial incentives that will exist. Um, Of course, a, a lot of it will have to come from member states' level which is why implementation and our work on implementation at national level would be so important because there is a lot of flexibility given in the text. And so my work now is to go to member states and ask them to put as many social safeguards in place as they can. Overall, Karen thinks it can be a message for the rest of the world. It's a new dawn for one of the main areas of activity for climate action. And it relates all the way across to the discussions that are that are taking place in Dubai as we speak, uh, where the message from the developing world is you need to do more uh, in the developed world in Europe. Uh, And I think this is one element, one piece of the jigsaw of Europe doing more. And I think the big picture is that Europe is doing a lot on climate action. We are delivering uh, and we want to do more. And as a kind of a geopolitical region, we need to get that message out to the United States to Russia, to China, to all these other areas where climate action is not high enough on the political agenda. Many thanks for joining me today. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of The Jolt. Remember that the show now hits the airwaves every weekday, so make sure to tune in Monday through Friday. The Jolt is free to air for now, so please do show us some love and share the episodes if you enjoyed listening. Head on over to foresightdk.com to listen to the latest episode of Talking Transitions, our newest podcast. There's also an interesting deep dive on a new hydrogen plant in Utah. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt. Thank you.